What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we're going to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks pitchers. And by the way, if you have PL Pro, you can get access to these podcasts in written form with video and my entire blurbs for how I feel about the entire Diamondbacks rotation, all the rotations as they come out through December uh, by going to PL Pro. Uh, sorry, well, PitcherList.com slash premium to sign up for PL Pro today. And later this month, we're actually going to have the opportunity to get lifetime PL Pro status that is a one-time payment, no recurring revenue, nothing like that. Uh, recurring subscriptions, I should say. Not revenue, oh man. Um, I'm going to redo that. <laughs> it's a one-time subscription to PL Plus. Nope. <laughs> it's a one-time payment for PL Pro. You'll never have to pay again, and it supports what we're doing as we're raising money to make some incredible things here at Pitchless as we continue our journey trying to be the best baseball company in the market. All right, so let's talk about Zach Gallen. obviously. I mean, Zach Gallen is the clear ace of this staff. Uh, he looked great in the playoffs as well. I've had some back and forth with Gallen because obviously you know I'm a Gallen gal and I have been supporting him f- pretty much since he came up um, to the majors. The biggest issue has been he doesn't get whiffs with his four-seamer. And this year, he had uh, he continued that scoreless streak that he had in 2022 a bit for about 27 innings, I want to say it was, early on in April and May. And then he fell out of it, and the reason for that was throwing high fastballs all of a sudden. Gallon does not live that way. He has a four-seamer that has actually more induced vertical break than you'd expect, but it lives better downstairs instead of trying to get whiffs upstairs. Why is that? Because it tunnels so well with his curveball and his changeup, that batters often take it down, and then it makes the super high low locations of curveballs and changeups so tempting. Now, if Gallon goes upstairs with this, it's actually not as consistent in the way that you want it to be. Fewer called strikes, and then it asks more out of the other pitches. So I'm not surprised that Gallon returned to it later on in the year as the low location pitch. And Gallon's four-seamer was better once again. Though he does every so often go upstairs to try and get a whiff on that. And I'm totally cool with that. Um, Then there's the cutter and the slider that are also elite glove side pitches. So I love this. Gallon is really good at keeping the ball low on his curveball and changeup. Really good at keeping the ball glove side for his uh, cutter and slider. And then he has a four-seamer that can go up or down. He also likes these backdoor um, four-seamers that, because they have just a touch of cut action, sometimes he gets a little bit more on, on it. He can surprise them for a called strike three. It's pretty cool. Um, all in all, what I see is he doesn't really have the SP number one in fantasy ceiling. Like he's not going to have a 30% plus strikeout rate for a full year. He just because he doesn't have a four seamer that bullies like others. That said, I think he has a really good floor with a great defense behind him. He's going to get over a strikeout per inning. He's going to be in the sixth and seventh inning constantly. So I like him. Um, I think it's honestly, I would love him for more as an SP two than an SP one, because I don't feel that we're really going to get that massive SP one value again. Um, but I think that Gallon is a very safe play on many teams, and I'm just very curious where he goes in drafts this year because I don't necessarily see him on the same line as like Luis Castillo and Zach Wheeler and Pablo Lopez. But he is definitely better than the question marks of a lot of the young guys. Because you know that you're going to get production from Zach Gallen in 2024. Uh, the other two are also very curious to me. 
Um, Merrill Kelly, I go back and forth on how I should feel about him. And I should really mention all the Arizona pitchers as a whole get a bump up because A, their defense is great. And that's going to help them in a lot of times and certainly help Merrill Kelly. But there's also to be noted, the offense is getting better. Um, and that means that wins are actually a pretty cool thing, too. So with Merrill Kelly, his walk rate did go up um, over 9% last year. And I think that's because he really relied on that changeup out of the zone more than usual. But it was a 49% O-swing, which is just golden on that changeup. And I do wonder if actually he's going to utilize it more often uh, moving forward than I'd say like the 25% or so they had this year. I mean, this really should be like a 40% changeup. I'm really leaning into it because I think everything else just is not nearly as good. I know the four-seamer did better for Merrill Kelly, 11% swing strike rate on it this year. Kind of close to the 2022 mark. I don't quite buy it. Uh, we asked him about it, and he said that, oh, yeah, sometimes I guess it just kind of works because the changeup is doing one thing, and it, you know sometimes we get upstairs and be that thing. But it's not really this overpowering fastball. And also, velocity does change uh, start to start a bit. Sometimes we see 93+, plus, sometimes we see 91 and change. And the other stuff, the curveball has its moments. The cutter's okay. But this is really Merrill Kelly, the changeup guy. And he changes grip, he told us, in 2022. Which is why I think the 2021 floor of Kelly, which was about a 4.5 ERA and a 130 whip, is kind of removed at this point. I mean, sure, there's a there's a possibility, and it really does feel it with that 119 whip that he had last year, that Merrill Kelly could fall back a bit if the changeup isn't as effective. But I am leaning that, like, no, this is still going to be a great one. He's still going to have a, a no-swing that's going to hover around 45% or so, if not better. It shouldn't be like a 35% no-swing one, which means he's going to get those chases, those bad balls in play uh, for hitters that will go into the defense. He'll get those outs and keep that hit per nine at like 7.2 or 7.5, not like nine like it was in 2021, because again, the defense is also there. So it's safe. Merrill Kelly's fine. Is it going to be a 25-26% strikeout rate again? I'm going to tell you, no, it's not. And that means he's in that Toby Holly territory, where if you have Merrill Kelly, you're probably not going to drop him the entire year. So that had him around like 40 in my rankings. I could see a scenario where you just like, do I really need Merrill Kelly on my team this year if that changeup does get worse? And he doesn't really have the fail-safes. And not having fail-safes, not having backup options is something really I do like to think about when it comes to a pitcher's arsenal is... Uh, where are we putting the faith, right? Is it um, is it in that the changeup is still just going to be amazing? And that's okay, and that's okay, cool. Then then we're fine. Um, but if that does falter, what is the backup plan? And I think that's why we see some bad starts from Kelly when the changeup just isn't doing their thing. Then yeah, fastball cutter curve isn't very good. So I, I go back and forth on this. Also, Kelly though does get a lot of O swing on that sinker, and he is using that the right way. I think. The Diamondbacks at large have started to learn this with sinkers, and they're using them the right way, which is just jam same-handed batters with it. And we're going to talk about that with Brandon Font in a second, too. Um, but, yeah, I just don't want to draft Merrill Kelly. I don't know. It's just not fun. <laughs> the uh, the ceiling is not very high. I mean, sure, you actually even say, like, Nick, what are you talking about? Let's say he has his 112 whip from, or 114 whip from 2022, and he has, like, a 320 ERA, and then he goes... You know, every five days, and all of a sudden, that's like 190, 200 strikeouts. Of course, that's an amazing ceiling. Yeah, you're not wrong. This is why I feel so conflicted about it. It just feels like, I don't know, much better for deeper leagues than he is for a 12-teamer. Does he push the needle, or can you expect him to push the needle that much? Probably. I'm probably going to have him like 40. Um, There's just something about it. It's just like, yeah, it's fine. 
it's fine. It's too close to just not being fine. Um, Brandon fought though. Uh, I really want to talk about him. Also, Ryan Nelson. There are some very interesting thing that, things there. Um, and of course, all the fringe guys and the prospect guys. And we're going to talk about all of those after this break. So Brandon Fought obviously has the playoff tax assigned to him. He did so well in the postseason after having this really tumultuous season in the majors came up. In the beginning was heralded as like, oh yeah, Brandon Fought won the best sashes you can make. Did not do well, allowed so many home runs, sent back down, came back up in like the worst situations and got pummeled again. And then he started to get into some sort of groove in the second half. And then by the time the postseason arrived, his command was as good as I've seen. So what is it about Fought that makes him tick? Well, the sweeper is insanely good. It's a really, really consistent sweeper that just gets strikes in the zone. Um, super hard to hit, low ICRs, which is great. Uh, and gets all the whiffs too. I mean, this is just his absolute money pitch. Any scenario, I have this sweeper that's going to do good things. Does he break the Waskari Noah rule, right? You have an elite slider. Does anything else match it? Well, there is hope in the four-seamer. And when Fought excelled in the postseason, um, I posted a, a tweet about this because I also wanted to bring it up in the article without, like, I just wanted to have a URL of something. Um, there's a strike zone plot. I essentially say it's a 2.5 mix when you throw a four-seamer and sinker and a secondary. It's not really a three-pitch. It's two different types of fastballs. I call it 2.5. That's just me. But um, he really separated everything else. Everything in his repertoire, I should say. Like, nothing was down the middle. The sweeper was where it should be, down in glove side, as as ones are. The sinker was perfect uh, away and arm side. And actually, to lefties, he actually stuck with that and had a massive O-swing of over 40% to lefties, which is strange, but he just didn't throw it in the zone, which is great. Down and away. And he nailed it with right-handers as well. Like, high O-swing on the sinker. You guys know I love that. And he doesn't throw it, like, 30% of the time. He throws it, like, 10 12%. That is how you should be using sinkers, um, surprise pitches to get quick outs or early foul balls and counts. Um, then the four-seamer. This four-seamer has a great VAA. Uh, the one thing that you watch fought and why I liked him early last year, I just kind of assumed that the induced vertical break was there because the VAA was there. Um, it's a low arm angle and kind of explodes in this line to the top of the zone. And I thought like, oh man, this guy has that fastball. And that's why I was in on him. And I... I overvalued it because when he showed up, Fott wasn't really pummeling the top of the zone with that fastball and allowed a lot of those home runs. However, this this postseason game against the Phillies, when he destroyed them, guess what? It was four seamers, all high location, all sinkers, all arm side location and inside and sweepers down away, right? And that command, if Fott has it, means he's got it. So what I see with Fought right now is if you give me the same guy from 2023 before the postseason, before that amazing command moment, I don't want him on my teams because I don't believe, you know, that's a guy without the command that's consistent. He doesn't have enough in that arsenal to really break the Wasker Noah rule. However, he's really close in like three areas to becoming something bigger, right? You could say all you need is a command of the four seamer upstairs consistently and you should be better. You could maybe find a way to get more induced vertical break. Maybe you get more spin on that four-seamer. Maybe you add velocity on that four-seamer. Maybe you find a cutter or a curve or change that you actually really trust. None of those right now are very good. The change sometimes is very good for Fought. I don't have faith in that right now. But what I'm getting at is he has different paths to develop into something much more legitimate and stable. That doesn't mean he's going to. And I would honestly hate drafting fought expecting 
to have him the entire year. To me, he's still a question mark of development that doesn't demand the success, I think, of someone like Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. Because those foundations of those fastballs are going to make them less volatile, I think, than fought. Still, I do like him more than I thought I did. And I am going to be a little higher on him. I was, I was told by chat that Fought is going the same place as Darvish and Giolito in 15-teamers, I believe, NFBC stuff. Um, like 15th round. I don't think I like that. Uh, I personally would go Darvish instead. Giolito, I understand. It's been two bad seasons, but kind of curious where he lands. But my point here with Fought is it very well could turn into that year, and many people, people can be right. It requires something to be new. Uh, and there's a difference to me of saying, look, this guy is already kind of made. If he does the same thing again, I'm in versus if he does the same thing again, he's not there and I don't trust it. So I, I'm excited. I, I love stuff like this because you know me, I'm going to see him in the spring in the first couple games of the year, and I'm going to have a very aggressive take in some way or another. Um, I'm excited about that. So hopefully fought figures that out. Of course, he does have the benefit of being on Arizona in a locked situation. They will push him. And that's a very good thing. Uh, the other one that I feel is the, the one for the Arizona Diamondbacks right now. And I should say it is November 29th as I record this. I am expecting the Diamondbacks to get at least one starting pitcher. Uh, Michael Walker feels like such a good fit for them. Stroman actually feels like a good fit because that's... Uh, Ground ball heavy for a really good infield defense. Um, I don't know, but I imagine someone is going to go to the uh, uh, go to the Diamondbacks. Could even be like Kyle Hendricks. Watch this. Um, and Ryan Nelson's going to be the number five. It could be two guys, but I think they should be giving Ryan Nelson a chance. And with Ryan Nelson, I, there's stuff to like here. I didn't think there would be. I remember following him through the entire year early in the season. Um, his velocity was down and the shoulder stuff. And I thought that he'd be the one out. And then he was the first one, all this kind of stuff. And I, with Ryan Nelson, um, four-seamer gets a ton of induced vertical break. I mean, really, it is excellent break. 94-95. The... I, the VAA is fine, so the IVB should be carrying this one well, but he has sub-10% swing strike rates. Why is that? 37th percentile in high location. And I don't really classify Ryan Nelson as one of those excellent command guys. I think uh, he's struggling a little bit with his uh, trebuchet mechanics, which essentially means his glove is going up and his arm going down as he moves towards home, where as he starts to fall forward, instead of the shoulders following it, he keeps those up. And then it makes the timing with the front shoulder and when his arm comes around difficult to um, replicate pitch to pitch, which means east-west is actually a little bit more of a struggle for him as I just want him to be north-south as much as possible and really stay middle as much as he can. The thing is, if Ryan Nelson's able to stay up um, and not have a 37% high location uh, percentile, I think it was 49% high lock, if he's able to be like a 60-65% high lock guy and maybe again like fought, move from 94, 95 to actually getting like a steady 95 and more. There's stuff to like here. And the slider, slider had really good results. Uh, not just on paper of just, you know, okay, average allowed and stuff. I'm talking ICR limited a ton of good balls in play. I mean, we're talking like 25% rates, which is really low. You see under 30% for anything, you go, whoa, wait, what is that? Um, you traditionally see around 30 to 35% ICR for, for breaking balls. So 
I think that should come out from 12% usage. I think the curveball and cutter shouldn't really be used as much. The cutter maybe as a strike pitch, but really the slider is just that much better. And turn him more into that fastball slider guy. There's something there. So I'm curious to see how Ryan Nelson develops. Again, needs more consistency, needs more, uh, a little bit better polish on command. It's a 60% strike rate on the slider, which could turn into like a 55 as opposed to a 65, right? So we're going to, we're going to see how that works. I will say the slider usage went up from 12% to 20% by the end of the year, three starts over 20% in September for Nelson. He did say in the minors, he was trying to work on that pitch and it looked like it did turn into something. So maybe we see 25%, even 30% next year. Uh, I'm very curious to how that plays out, but for now, Ryan Nelson looks like he has a spot in the rotation and I'm very, very curious what we see um, entering next year. This is something that I'm baking in a little bit more for, especially these younger guys, is that they're way more receptive than they used to be to pitch development and analytics and working with the right people to throw harder and uh, and tweak in favor of more breaking balls than they used to. So I'm baking that in to more young pitchers these days than I have in the past. And maybe Ryan Nelson is a very interesting one there. On the fringe... Yeah, not much uh, to report here. Um, as you guys can see inside these articles, I don't even really go over them. I don't give you guys video or anything on them um, because I kind of don't feel like they should be noted. Uh, I mean, it's look, Tommy Henry, Slate Sassoni, and Bryce, Bryce Jarvis. None of these to me are in any way interesting. Tommy Henry, we know this. He's not going to throw another no-hitter. Um, he throws meh velocity um, from the left side. Uh, it's... A lot of breaking pitches um, that uh, can be successful. Like the slider destroys lefties. Cool. Elite strike rates and no swing and zone and ICR rates there. But the changeup and curve aren't really effective against right-handers. And that could be a thing over a larger sample. Tommy Henry, to me, is just not someone that you really want to rely on in any way. Slay Sassoni just... Oh, man, I want this to be better. Uh, I feel like he's the one of these three I'm going to mention that has uh, the most potential and that the Diamondbacks are going to give a shot to, right? Uh, it's a 94, 95 mile per hour heater that uh, he has a decent amount of high location, but it just doesn't miss bats. Um, his slider doesn't find enough strikes right now, but it could be a weapon. There's a lot of polish left to be added, right? He doesn't have anything to face lefties against effectively. Um, yeah, we need to see more from Slates of Sony for him to take another step uh, and actually be uh, worthwhile. And Bryce Jarvis, yeah, same kind of thing, really. Like, a lot of these guys are the same of 94-95, a four-seamer that doesn't miss bats enough, and a slider that needs more development. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really it with both of those guys. Um, there are some prospects to take note, and of course, once again, I cannot emphasize enough, if you are curious about a prospect in a... Any organization, just go read our uh, top fantasy baseball um, prospects for 2024 article. We have one for pitchers and we have one for hitters. It's on the left sidebar of the site. Um, and so we have Yumin Lin, who uh, made it to AA last year. Uh, he is a low 90s guy, but he has a really good set of secondaries. Um, and he had like a 28% K rate in AA despite that low uh, velocity fastball from the left side. So he might actually be something that takes advantage of that defense. So watch out for him. Um, Blake Walston uh, is someone that uh, is from the left side. He sits around 90 miles per hour. He could get a shot this year. I don't really think he's going to do too much when he arrives, um, but there is something to be said there. And then Corbin Martin was a part of that Zach Greinke deal 
way back when. And he's really just dealt with Tommy John and he had a lat injury that made him miss all of 2024. He actually was part of the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2022. Um, and you can imagine he's going to be in AAA and then possibly uh, feeling healthy and looking right again uh, with high four seamers and then a really good slider um, as well. So make sure that you know who uh, Corbin Martin is. Still, we're going to have to see something new in AAA for us to feel any way excited about that. But right, that is it for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Thank you all so much for the support. And of course, go consider getting PL Pro the best way to support us as uh, you can get a lifetime PL Pro uh, subscription soon. We're going to be adding merch to that as well as a thank you for doing that. It's going to be exclusive to those that get the lifetime subscription and look for that by the middle of December. Um, But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock and may your babas be low and your strikeouts high.